0: Scripture reading this morning, Psalm 100. I invite you to turn there or navigate there on your phone, however you'd like to read the word of the Lord with me. Psalm 100, it's it's a precious reminder. Starting in verse 1, the psalmist says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I wanted to take a week away from First Peter and to focus on being thankful. And I think it's sort of traditional for a lot of pastors to do this the week before Thanksgiving, the holiday, so that you you prepare your hearts and that you genuinely are thankful on the day that we set aside to be thankful so it doesn't just become a ritual or a holiday. And, And I thought about that, and for a few reasons, I thought that perhaps preaching on thankfulness today would be better for us as a church. For at least two reasons. First, some of you, I am sure, are disappointed, perhaps frustrated, with how Thanksgiving went last Thursday. Um, You you may not have seen the family members that you wanted to see, or you know, perhaps you you were part of a family that said, "We're just going to gather, and who cares." Uh, And maybe you were frustrated that not everyone agreed with your understanding of what we should do in this kind of context. And so as we wrestle with a day that is normally a happy, festive, family-focused holiday, it may not have been that. And so in that kind of disappointment or frustration, now I think more than ever, it's important to remember that we still need to be thankful And perhaps, this is my second reason, perhaps not only are you thinking about last Thursday, but you're thinking about December 25th and wondering what Christmas is going to be like. And perhaps you're worried again that you will not see the family that you hope to see. And perhaps it'll be another disappointment. Perhaps you're battling loneliness or fear or depression And those feelings are going to war against your soul. They will rob you of a kind of joy. They make it harder to be thankful. And so my hope in preaching this message is not to point a finger at you and say, be thankful. I don't think that would help. I don't think that would work. My hope in this message is through the word of God to lift your soul So that from the inside out, like Jesus said, rivers of water will come bubbling out of you and you will become a thankful person because of what you have heard in the word of God. So I've got three parts to this message. Uh, First, I want to give you some reasons why we should be thankful. Not things to be thankful for, but reasons we should as people be thankful and full of gratitude Second, I want to talk about help for how to be thankful, especially when you don't feel thankful. So second, I want to talk about help for how to be thankful when you don't feel thankful. And finally, very practically, I want to talk about tips on giving thanks or how to give thanks. And it's my prayer that God Almighty would delight In all of the praise and thanksgiving that we give him. Scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That he is present in a particular way when we are thankful. And it's my prayer that we would enjoy that kind of presence. And I want to say, some of you are watching this online at home. And you may be by yourself. And if that's you, I want to say to you very directly that God can be present with you as your heart lifts and becomes thankful because of what he's promised to you in your word. And it's my hope that this message would be deeply encouraging and that your soul would be satisfied in the presence of God with you. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, talks a little bit about how he always had a hard time with the fact that God commands us to praise him, that he commands us to be thankful. Uh, He said he felt like God were behaving like a vain woman who just wanted to be complimented all the time, and it bothered him. And in in this environment, maybe we would have to add, or it could also be a vain man who wants to be complicated. It doesn't really matter. It's It's not the point. The point is he felt like God was unfair in asking us to praise him as if he needed anything from us and also Lewis said he just didn't feel like doing it so it just seemed unfair all the way around God was telling him to be thankful and to praise him and he thought why and then the more he thought about it the more he realized that God's command to give thanks God's command to praise is not only something we ought to do because of how great God is. It's something that we cannot help but doing when we see how good God is, and it's something that we find deeply satisfying and full of joy. You might be skeptical on that point. You might be the kind of person that struggles to sing. Some of us, God has made, and we we can't help it. We love it. Some Some of us, man, We don't enjoy it. We seem sort of emotionally disconnected from everybody else while they're having this beautiful thing. And if that's you, I want to say having a glimpse of who God is will lift your heart so that maybe you're not going to be a great singer, but you can't help but talk about how good he is. And I think the more you know him and the more you experience his goodness, even singing becomes slowly easier and easier and it becomes something that you enjoy and something that you want to do even if you're terrible at it. My hope in this message is that we would have that kind of glimpse. Lewis says he noticed that as he looked around the world that people who were cranky and miserable and discontent were never thankful. But on the other hand, the people who were the humblest, he said well-balanced minds, they praised the most. He gave the example of a food critic, you know, who goes around, I can't even imagine, but you work for a major newspaper, and it's your job, it's your life, to go around to the best restaurants in all of Chicago or New York, and just eat, and then you write about what you eat. And Lewis said, the best critics could find something to praise and enjoy in the humblest meal, but the worst critics could never enjoy anything. And and because Lewis was a lit prof, he loved talking about books, and he said that the best book critics will tell you a good thing about a mediocre book, but a terrible lit critic will tell you you should never read any of those books that are subpar. And the list of acceptable books becomes shorter and shorter, and they become very proud, and there's no pleasure anywhere in life. But when you enjoy something good, praise is natural. You can't help it. And I want to give you one goofy, just crazy example of that. A couple of years ago, I discovered safety razors. Now, I have always hated spending money on things that I don't value. I, it's not that I'm a terribly cheap person. I can be cheap in some ways. It's just I would rather spend my money on music or books or all kinds of other things. I don't want to spend a stupid amount of money shaving my neck or at that time shaving my face. And, and what I discovered is if, if I bought the, the pre-packaged. Chick razors or whatever, where they had 47 razors plus a, a little lubrication strip, it, it would take 20, 30 dollars to buy like the big pack, and, and I just I hated it every time. And then I discovered that if I bought a safety razor like my grandpa used, I could buy a box of 200 double-sided safety razors for 20 dollars. I haven't bought safety razors in probably five years. And I like how they shave. I like having the goofy little brush. And when I made this discovery that I didn't have to spend $60 to $100 a year on razors, I told everyone because I thought, what fool is going to waste that stupid razor cartridge over and over and over again for a life. I'm going to have a pile of them by the time I'm dead, and it's such a colossal waste of money. And I loved the satisfaction of shaving with a simple, cheap razor. Now, that says probably more about my soul than it does about modern shaving, And what it says is when you find a good thing that your soul loves, you can't help but talk about it. In fact, I had a moment when we were at church in Chicago. uh, There was a guy in our Sunday school class who had made the same discovery. Uh, He worked for Goldman Sachs. He he was a guy that managed investments, and he had invested in real estate. He was super smart. We had almost nothing in common because he was just so smart in many different ways. And when he was being interviewed for the class, we always do like these little get-to-know-you things. He said, I love Double-edged safety razors. And I thought, you too? We immediately had this common bond that we had made the same discovery. And there's something amazing when you see something good. I I Grandma is shaking her head like, man, he's lost it. He's crazy. The truth is it doesn't matter what good thing you see. When you enjoy something good, you have to tell other people about it. And you, in fact, actually enjoy and delight in telling other people about it. It's true with our favorite bands. It's true with our favorite books. When you have something good, you want to talk about it. You want to praise it. You want to convince other people that it's also good. And as you do that, you're not miserable. You're full of a satisfaction. You're full of a kind of joy. And it's my prayer that instead of being miserable at all the things that are lost, at all the things that are broken, at all the things that are disappointed, no matter what happens in the coming months or in 2021 or in the coming decade, we would be people who are so deeply satisfied in God that over and over and over again, we would bring people to Jesus and they would discover the same joy. So to begin with, I want to give you two reasons Two reasons that we should praise God. Two reasons we should. And think of this as sort of stockpiling a little bit of food so that when you're hungry, you can snack on it. When you're not thankful, you can think of these reasons and lift your heart and remember that you ought to praise. So remember these two reasons why we should praise God. And I've got two different passages that I want to point you to. The first one is Psalm seven. Psalm 7, verse 17. Some of you like to take notes and write that down. I'll give it to you again. It's Psalm 7, verse 17. And I'm just going to read it for you. The psalmist says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. This is one verse of probably hundreds that I can point to and very clearly say that the reason that we should give thanks to God is because he deserves it. And this verse specifically mentions his righteousness. It means he has never done something wrong, ever. Ever. You can even think of like the whole book of Job that wrestles with this giant question of where is God when I am in grief and have lost so much? And Job refuses to sin against God. He recognizes that God is the one who has all of the information we lack, He has all of the wisdom, all of the goodness. And if we don't understand what's happening, we need to humbly trust Him. He is righteous. And he does not sin. And so we ought to praise him for his righteousness. And I'll say a little bit more about that later in this message. Because the scriptures are full of the righteousness of God. The more you see him in his goodness, the more you love him. And so reason number one, we ought to be thankful because God deserves our praise. Reason number two, is we ought to be thankful because we sin when we are not. We ought to be thankful because we sin when we are not. And I'm going to read Romans chapter 1, verse 21. You should really read the whole chapter for context, but Romans 1, 21 says this, and it's describing people that have rejected God. And it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And there are two things that I want to point out from this verse. The first is that they had enough information of God from nature and from history to understand that He was real, that He did exist. Now, now maybe they didn't believe in Jesus, or maybe, maybe they didn't know a lot about Him, but Scripture teaches that God has set eternity in our hearts And if you've ever watched a flower unfold or seen a sunrise or been to the Grand Canyon or just stared at a starry sky, there's a sense of majesty that declares that God exists, that He's real, and that we ought to worship Him. He is our maker. But many people don't. And in fact, in the ministry and life of Jesus... And as you look at the ministry and life of Paul and the other apostles, many people who said that they were followers of God did not have hearts that worshipped God. And in fact, I've known many Christians who seemed so miserable that if you thought that they knew God, you probably didn't want to for fear that you would become like them. It is a sin to think that you know God, to know Him partially, and to not honor him, and to not give thanks to him. And in fact, the second half of that verse, so so the first thing is, everyone does this to some extent. But the second thing is, their lack of gratitude led to further darkening. In other words, the more you go without giving thanks to God, I believe the further you get from him. The longer you go in an attitude of, Anger or fear. The further you get from the heart of God, the darker your thinking becomes and the more foolish you are. And you might be saying, Pastor, I thought you said this was going to be an encouraging message. Well, Well, here's why I start here. Oftentimes, When we are battling with this sin of not thanking God and not worshiping as we should, we don't even recognize it as sin. And I'm preaching to myself here. If I am battling with discouragement or fear and you ask me how I'm going, I'll say, ah, I'm having kind of a hard day or maybe maybe I'm having a hard week or maybe I'm having a hard year. I'm not going to tell you, you know, I'm battling with sin in my heart. Because I ought to be thankful and I'm not. I want to up the stakes here a little bit because the Bible ups the stakes. And the more we continue in this kind of sin, the harder it becomes to worship. The more miserable we become. And so I want to call it sin because the Bible calls it sin. And I want to help us recognize where we're at when we give way to discouragement or fear or anxiety. Call it what it is. Recognize it as sin, but I don't say that to be discouraging to you. I don't want to point a finger and say, "Look, you're rotten sinner, you ought to be thankful, any more than I want you to do that to me, because I'm guilty of this too. I want to say that when you recognize it as sin, you have the opportunity to lay it down and ask for the forgiveness of God. And when you do that, one of the things that you'll find is that He is faithful in giving you his forgiveness. And in recognizing it as sin, and in confessing it and asking for forgiveness, you'll find you're one step closer to joy. You are one step closer to happiness. Don't read the news or listen to your favorite podcast and all of a sudden discover that you're angrier and further from God. I'm not saying you have to put your head on the ground. Be aware of what's happening. Happiness and ignorance is not a great testimony for God either. Be aware of what's happening. But in that awareness, continue to give thanks. And when you find you've got a grumbling heart, stop what you're doing and ask the Lord for his forgiveness. Because what you're doing in that moment is you're acting as if he's either not a very good king or he's not king at all. So instead, pause. Find God's forgiveness And then discover the joy of being thankful. So I've given two reasons we should be thankful. Number one, God is worthy. Number two, it's a sin if you don't. In that sin, understand that you can find forgiveness and mercy as you confess your sins. Jesus died for sins of ingratitude. And you can find new life and joy when you trust in what he's done for you. So that's why we should be thankful. Number two, I want to talk for a moment about how to be thankful. And I've got a couple of points under this, but all of them fall under Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now Paul, at the end of those verses, commands us to give thanks in whatever we do. And he commands us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts. But he begins with what I think is the foundational command. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, listen to the Bible as it's preached. Read the Bible faithfully. Because if the word of God is not dwelling in you, you won't have very many reasons to be thankful You will easily be distracted by things that draw your attention away from the Lord, and you'll find thankfulness becomes more and more difficult. I remember growing up, we we tried to do this thing. I I think we were at my Aunt Sherry's. I'm not sure. We we were having a Thanksgiving meal, and and we just decided we wanted to start a family tradition. Maybe your family does something similar where we pass this little ear of corn around the table, and and we had to be thankful for something. And, And I remember having this little ear of corn thinking, I have no idea what I'm thankful for. And I could maybe say as a little kid, you know, I was just put on the spot, and and you, you didn't warn me. You didn't let me know. But there was also a level of, as I racked my brains, what on earth do I have to be thankful for? Even though I had tons of things that I should have been thankful for, I wasn't focused on it, and I wasn't thinking about it. And maybe that's how you feel. If you hear the command to be thankful you don't know where to start or how to begin. And I think that the place that every person should begin, whether you're a believer or not, is you ought to begin hearing what God has said to us in his word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it live in you. Don't let it bounce off of your eyeglasses and then close the Bible and forget what was there. Let it be alive inside your brain. Think about what it means when you read. Try to have at least one thing from every sermon that you hear that you can think about, that you can chew over. Let it be alive in your thinking. And the more it's alive in your thinking, the easier it is to sing songs of praise and in everything you do to give thanks. So step one in how to be thankful is obey this command to let the word dwell in you richly. And as part of that, I want to encourage you to remember two types of things. Part of the word dwelling in you richly, remember two types of things. Number one, remember the ancient past that you find recorded in the word of God. And here's what I mean by that. Remember Creation and the story of Exodus, that great salvation where God hears the cries of the people who are suffering in bondage and slavery and he rescues them in power and in glory. And in great love and compassion, he leads them and provides for them. Remember what God has done in the ancient past. Remember the miracle of Christmas, the incarnation, when the infinite Son of God becomes a little baby boy Remember the miracles that Jesus worked. Remember his healings, how he raised the dead. Remember how he walked on water. I remember when I, when I first heard the story about how Jesus walked on water, I thought, why did he do that? Is this like some sort of magician? Is, like, is he going to pull a rabbit out of the hat next? Like, what is the point? Well, here's the point. Only God can tame chaos. And when you read through the Old Testament, the, the testimonies about how God rides on the clouds and has power over the ocean, the ancient peoples were terrified of uncontrollable chaos. They didn't swim well. They didn't boat well. Oceans and chaos are images of terror. And when Jesus says, I take that terror, and I just take a walk on it like it's a walk in the park, he's showing his amazing power. Think about not only the healings and walking on water and raising the dead. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. How Jesus filled empty bellies. And He was not any poorer for it. Think about not only did He work great miracles, but how He died. He was so full of love and compassion that He took our place on the cross and died for our sins. And because death could not hold him, he rose from the dead and is alive today. Remember those things and meditate on them. Because if you think of the feeding of the 5,000, for me, I've got a a brief glimpse of a flannel graph in my head. And if it just leaves after that, I'll kind of smile for a minute. But I won't think about what it means for me I won't think about the fact that I worship the same living Christ. Let the word dwell in you richly by pausing and meditating on the fact that when you pray, you pray to the hands that broke bread, that told his disciples to take it and distribute it, and that you're talking to the same Jesus who has promised that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Let the word dwell in you richly by meditating on those things. I want to beg you to do this because if you do, you will find thankfulness rising in your hearts. You will not give way to fear. You will not give way to anxiety. You will be thankful at a time when almost no one is. Not only do you remember what happened in the ancient past, remember what God has done in Your life. Remembering what God has done in the ancient past does no good if you don't believe that he will do something for you today. And sometimes it's hard to hang on to what God will do for you today unless you remember what he's done for you in the past. Very personally, I... I, Uh, had a surprise call uh, from Aaron Oldoff, And Aaron, I don't know if you're watching on Facebook. I I didn't tell you about this ahead of time, and I'm sorry. Uh, I I don't think it'll be uh, embarrassing for you at all. Um, She had a question about knowing the will of God. She was reading the book of Acts, and she saw the apostles casting lots to figure out who would replace Judas. And she was like, that's really weird. Should we cast lots to find out what God wants us to do? So she sent me a message, and I was driving, so so I'd rather... Some of you will say this is still the wrong thing. I think the wrong thing is to text back while you're driving. We all agree on that. Uh, But I called her, and I I will admit that I called her while I was driving. And so I was talking to her about how we know the will of God. And so I started telling her, and I didn't plan on this. I wasn't intentionally meditating on what God had done in my life. But I started telling her how God had helped us know that we should come here and be the pastor and pastor family of First Baptist Church of Holly. And how God had sent three different people that didn't know each other into our lives to say, you should be a pastor, And how God had worked in bizarre circumstances so that I watched one of my friends who was being ordained to ministry, and as he was answering the question of how he knew that God had called him to pastoral ministry, God, just with the weight of the Holy Spirit, pressed on my heart, this is what's happening to you right now. And I thought, shoot, because that was a huge question for us. We'd had different evidences that we should maybe be open to this possibility. We had different things that were happening in our lives. Okay, maybe we'll pursue it. And... As we were thinking, should we even do this? One of the big questions was, have I been called to pastoral ministry? I don't know. And God, in his mercy and kindness, answered that question in such a deep and a profound way. I called Lauren as soon as I left the room, and I said, babe, this, this is it. This, this is happening. This, this is real. God is calling us to this type of ministry. And, and it's been five years since most of that stuff happened. And as I'm talking to Aaron, meditating on what God had done personally in my life, I'm getting like choked up while I drive. And now it is getting kind of dangerous to drive. And meditating on what God had done in my life personally moved me from a place of being kind of like, man, I I don't know what's happening at our church or in our country or in our world. This is hard. And meditating on what God had done in my life personally gave me hope. And it moved me from being fearful to being thankful, and it'll do the same thing for you. If you have a story of how God has saved you, you remember when you first recognized that you were a sinner, deserving God's wrath and punishment, and yet God loved you so much that he sent his son to take your place. Think about the day that you recognized that. You might think about his hand of providence in your life. You know, we we lost Kent Barnes this year, not, not from covid Uh, He he had a heart attack and passed away. Suddenly, we we had no idea that that would happen. We thought we'd enjoy him and his great piano playing. We thought we had another 10 years at least. When I was first getting to know Kent, he talked to me about how he could look back on his whole life and see the providence of God in guiding and directing him to different positions. You know, He he was a Kentuckian at heart, and, and he loved his home state. And and he found himself living in Michigan with brutally cold winters. He, He hated the winter. And yet he could say, as he looked backwards on his life, that he had seen the hand of God directing him and guiding him, and he loved to tell younger people, you know what, you might not recognize it now while you're in the middle of it, but when you turn around and look 20 years later, it'll be so clear. He could reflect on what God had done in his life. And find encouragement. And I want to say, you can too. Be deliberate about it. One of the goofier, funny things that Lauren and I did when we celebrated our 10 year anniversary, we didn't plan it, but we took a napkin while we were sitting at the restaurant. Actually, I have it in my backpack. I should have brought it up here. I could have showed it to you. We, we stretched a 10-year timeline, and we just started thinking about all of the goofy things that had happened in our decade of marriage, whether it was bed bugs in Chicago or, or whether it was our first apartment or, or, or all of the funny things that we celebrate that have become part of who we are. And it was so full of joy and goofiness and fun. Your relationship with God can be like that. Spend time meditating on what God has done in your life. But not only that, you might struggle to know what God has done in your life. Maybe those times are rare and few and far between. Here's what every single person here can hold on to. And here, if you forget everything else I've said, I want to encourage you not only to remember the ancient past, not only to remember what God has done in your life, but to believe in God's promises. Okay, so all of this is coming under how to give thanks, or how to be a thankful person. You are a thankful person when you remember what God has done. You are a thankful person when you believe God's promises. And I'm just going to give you, I've got probably... Eight of them that I want to briefly mention to you. And if you want to know, Pastor, where is that? Just ask me later. I'll give you the reference. All I want to do right now is overwhelm you with the good promises that Jesus has given us. And so Jesus says so clearly to everyone, come and I will give you rest. You know, anxiety will wear you out. Maybe you feel tired. Jesus has given you an open invitation to rest. Now, that invitation does no good if you don't accept it. If you don't believe that he really will give you rest, if you don't cast your burdens on him in prayer, if you don't think about the fact that he made this promise, you will live an anxiety-filled life. But if you believe this promise, he has given you an open invitation to rest. And when you understand that, you can be thankful Jesus promises that he will provide living water to everyone. And in fact, not only will he give you living water, but out of your soul will bubble up springs of living water with an abundance. What is he talking about? He's talking about life. He's talking about joy. He's talking about the goodness of having the Spirit of God in you. Giving you the, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that comes when the Spirit of God is in your heart and in your life. And Jesus has promised that that is just a gift. That when you trust in Him, He will give you this. He has promised the forgiveness of sins. He's promised eternal life. Think of John 3.16. Anyone who believes in the Son has eternal life. Jesus has promised for those who are already Christians, He said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. It's an open promise of fellowship. I've talked about this just a couple of weeks ago because I was reading a little devotional and I was so stunned by the fact that I don't take Jesus up on this offer nearly enough. It's a good and a blessed promise that Jesus will be present with you. You can talk to him while you're doing anything. And when you are in fellowship with Jesus... Your heart will be more thankful. He has given you this open invitation, this open promise that he will be with you. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can think of John 10 where Jesus says that for all of his sheep, that he hears their voice, that that he knows them and that nothing can pluck them out of his hand. And then he says, my father is greater than all and nothing can pluck them out of my father's hand. It's an image of absolute security and safety that you are in the hand of Jesus and his hand is in the hand of the father. And that's an open promise for all who trust in Christ that you are safe, you are secure. In fact, Jesus says things that that almost they don't make sense at first, where, where he says, Some of you are going to be killed, and not a hair on your head will perish. Now, that's a clearly critical promise for us to understand. Some of us might get sick and die, it might happen and yet not a hair on our heads will perish. That's the security Jesus is talking about. He says, you're safe within my hand. He is your good shepherd. If he allows you to get sick, it is for your eternal good as you trust him with your whole heart. So rest in the fact that nothing can pluck you out of the Father's hand. And then he says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again. You know, I talked about the great miracles of Jesus. I've never seen one with my own eyes. Not, not like what we see recorded in the scriptures. Not the amazing abundance of 5,000 men, women, and children being fed. This is 5,000 men. It, probably it was at least 10,000, maybe 15,000 people. We don't know how big that crowd was. We know it's huge. I've never seen that kind of miracle, but I have the promise that Jesus is preparing a place for me, and he's going to come back. And when I see him... The things that he does will be greater than the stuff that's written in the Bible. And if I rest in the fact that Jesus is coming again, I have something to be thankful for. I have a hope and a future. And there are hundreds of others that I can't mention. I want to encourage you. Find a promise. Maybe just one Find a promise that you can hang on to that will help your heart be thankful when you are battling fear or anxiety or anger. Look for a promise to believe. So that's how to be a thankful person. I want to close with how to give thanks. Okay, So we've moved from recognizing that God is worthy, we are sinful if we don't, to talking about how to become a thankful person when you recognize that you're not a very thankful person. I want to end with, if God has done this work in your heart and you find thankfulness rising up in you, what do you do with it? How do you express that thankfulness? And there are a couple of different places we could have gone. I want to show you two of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. This is Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy 14. Verses 25 and 26. Now, I'm going to give you the context before I read those verses. God is giving his people the instructions for how to obey the law. You know, this is the part of the Bible that sometimes is kind of hard to read. And specifically, he's talking about tithing. How everything that they earn, they are instructed to give a tenth back to God. And in the context of that, I mean, tons of people could grumble about it. It's like paying ancient taxes, so nobody likes that. They could, in one sense, feel like, you know, we are, we are poorer because we are required to give this to God. And, and you could imagine that, that they wouldn't like it very much until you read what they were supposed to do with it. And the fact that God was commanding them again and again and again to give thanks and to celebrate and to pause and remember his goodness... And so this is the context of them giving their tithes. They're supposed to take their tithes and offerings to Jerusalem once a year. Or actually, at this time, the temple wasn't in Jerusalem yet. Supposed to take it to wherever God has set up the tabernacle. You need to go see the priest. You need to worship in the right place. But then he says, well, what if you live super far away? And you're a farmer. And so your tithe would be wagons and wagons and wagons full of wheat. Well, you can't take wagons and wagons and wagons full of wheat all the way from northern Israel into wherever God has set up the tabernacle. It's just not practical. So these two verses give instruction for how to give thanks when you can't get your cart full of wheat to wherever the tabernacle is. And and God says, Then you shall turn it, your wheat or your grapes or whatever it is, you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. And here's what you do. Spend the money for whatever you desire. The King James has one of the funniest phrases I've ever heard in English. It says, whatever your heart lusteth after. Anything you want, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Now this is them paying their tithe to God. They eat rich food. They have a joyful celebration. This is like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter when the family gathers. And so how do you give thanks once your heart is thankful? Step one, throw a party. And I want to say right now, even if it's a party of one. How do you do that? Well, I don't care if you're grabbing a Snickers or if you're going to make whatever is delicious to you, make it a point to do something special that you don't normally do that you do enjoy. Now, how do you keep this from becoming gluttony? Cuz that's you know, lots of us eat our favorite things all day every day and we can't stop. How does this not become gluttony? It's an act of worship when you recognize that you are doing this because of what God has done for you, and your heart is already thankful, you're already in the process of worshiping, you've confessed your sin of not being thankful, you've experienced forgiveness for that You've begun to rest in what God has done in the past, what he's done in your life. You're hanging on to his promises for you. And as that worship rises in your heart, when you celebrate with something good, that goodness becomes a little taste of heaven. You know, I have no idea what we'll be eating in heaven, I don't, but I guarantee you it's better than anything we've eaten here. And when the good things of this life lead you to long for the absolute presence of God and the fullness of his glory, you're never going to be a glutton. Because the best of this life cannot compare to what God has in store for those who have their hope in Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you, when you feel that thankfulness rising up in your heart, maybe not every day, But especially if this past week was hard, maybe you need a Thanksgiving do-over. Maybe Monday or Tuesday or Thursday, pick a day. Say, this is the day I'm going to be devoted to thankfulness. Plan a menu. I don't know what you like to eat or what you like to drink. And I don't know if you need to call somebody and say, hey, can you drop some stuff off at my house? If you need to call me, I would be happy to drop something off at your house that would help you have a celebration of thankfulness so that you can throw a party for a party of one and eat some good food because we serve a good God. That's one way. The more obvious way and something that we should do every day is to pray and say thanks if you look through the New Testament, you see how often Paul says things like, I thank my God, and he's thankful for all kinds of things. One of the most stunning, he's thankful for the Corinthian church, the train wreck of a church that has all kinds of problems. Paul is thankful for them because he saw God at work in their hearts and in their lives. And his thankfulness just came out everywhere, even when he's writing a letter telling them, Hey, you guys, you got to fix this. This is a wreck. His heart was full of thankfulness. And every time he writes that way, he's actually praying to God. So you might throw a party, daily pray to God. Like we read in Colossians, sing songs of thanks, even if you're by yourself. Tell other people what God has done for you, even if it has to be over the phone. And I called my dad about 10 o'clock this morning because as I had prepared this, I realized that I hadn't called him and forgot. And I didn't want to do to him what I just did to Aaron Oldoff earlier. Uh, I wanted to say, hey, I'm going to, talk, to you, talk about you just a little bit in this message. Dad's testimony is something that, that we kind of celebrate as our family. Because he, he had kind of a rough home life. And I, I don't want to embarrass him and talk bad about stuff that happened you know, 50-plus years ago, 60-plus years ago. But I do want to say this. Dad is a young man had rebelled against his Christian upbringing. He'd gotten his girlfriend pregnant. He'd gotten fired from a job. He was in a rough spot. And God got a hold of his life, not because dad was looking for God, but he tried to get a job by going to First Baptist Church of Oak Park, knocked on the pastor's door. I don't know how he got past the secretary. His secretary was, yeah, you can go talk. And, and, And he went in and said, hey, I need a job. And Pastor Mignard said, no, I'm not going to help you get a job, but you do need to get your life straightened out. And Pastor Mignard met with him once a week and helped him become a man of God, helped him learn how to repent of his sins, helped him learn how to begin walking in obedience. And when I was 12 years old, I had no idea that any of this had happened. I, I knew just a, a fraction of a little bit of Dad saying things like you know I, God has God has forgiven me for my sins. I had no idea what those sins were. I remember the first time I heard him swear because he dropped a transmission on his chest uh, sever a time you might swear that's a good time to do it um, And I was just shocked. And my dad's a deacon in the church. We don't use language like that in my house. I don't even know how I knew what that language was. And dad in those moments would say, you know, I'm not the man today that I used to be. And every now and then, like when I drop a transmission on my chest, that old man comes out. When I was 12, my sister that he had had with his high school girlfriend called our family and said, hey, I'd like to know my biological family. And I had no idea she existed. And so for the first time, I began to recognize the radical change that had happened in my dad's life. I grew up in this sheltered, perfect Christian community where no one has sex outside of marriage. And you know, if you do, we're kind of like, what's wrong with you? And all of a sudden, in my own family, there was a story of forgiveness and a story of redemption. And dad started introducing people to this daughter that they didn't know he had. And he kept using this phrase over and over and over again. When people would say, how you doing? He would say, I'm better than I deserve. Because what he recognized again and again and again was that God had had mercy on him and had blessed him richly, far more than he had ever hoped or think. He he and my mom used to pray for this little girl, my sister Amy, before they met her and, and hoped that she would become a Christian and just hope that one day she would know Jesus. And when we met her, she had already become a Christian. And they were able to say, man, we've been praying that for 20 years. And got to see God answer it. And there was a fullness and a joy and a happiness and blessing in what God had done in restoring my dad from a time of rebellion and sin and leading him to a place of great blessing. And dad told a lot of people about that. And as you tell that kind of story, it's a way to give thanks. It's a public testimony of what God has done. You're no longer just trying to to lift your heart and your spirit privately. You're telling people what God has done. I would like to challenge everybody here. If you have a story like that that says what God has done in your life, man, maybe your kids don't even know it. Maybe you should sit them down and say, hey, this is what God did for me. Maybe you're isolating and you're at home and it's so critical that you need to tell someone. Pick up the phone. Don't wait for someone to call you. Pick up the phone and just a a random victim if it has to be. Pick somebody and tell them what God has done in your life because it's an act of thankfulness and worship and praise. And finally, as I talk about how to give thanks, you might throw a party. You certainly should pray and say thanks to God in prayer. You ought to sing songs of thanks. You can tell other people what God has done for you. But lastly, you can give to those in need. As God was instructing the people in ancient Israel and how they ought to worship, so much of what they did went to help the poor and the oppressed and those who don't have enough. Many people right now have either taken pay cuts or they're being laid off again for a second time. So many of our our local waitresses and, and, and servers throughout Holly are out of work right now. Our bus drivers have been laid off. So many people are in need. One of the best ways you can say thanks if God has blessed you is by being generous with somebody else. And be honest as you do it. Say, the Lord has blessed me and I want to bless you. Give thanks By giving to other people. And it's my prayer. If you start there. You'll become a proud person that says. Look what I do. But. If you begin with what God has done for you. You will find a kind of joy. That points to the God who is always good. And it's my prayer that this week. Would be full of thankfulness and praise. In a way that maybe last week wasn't. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I just publicly, on behalf of myself and and all who admit they are guilty, would like to confess the sin of ingratitude. God, we obsess and focus on so many other sins that seem big and worse, and, and yet a failure to praise is so serious when we're confronted with your goodness. That you not only made us, but that you sustain us. That you give us breath every moment, life, every day. That you uphold the universe by the work of your hand. And we want to fall on our knees and ask your forgiveness for our ingratitude. And Lord, I pray that you would lift our hearts in thankfulness and praise. That your spirit would apply this word to our hearts. So that every day we would worship you as we ought. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.